Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Let the festivities begin with a real five to seven foot Nordman Christmas tree for only 15 pounds. Home base feels good to be home while stocks last. How do you study an animal so elusive it's known as the ghost of the mountain? For researchers at the Snow Leopard Trust, the answer is artificial intelligence. By using Microsoft AI to analyze thousands of remote camera images for snow leopards, a task that used to take days is now done in minutes, so researchers have more time to save the threatened species. See how Microsoft AI helps us protect our environment at microsoft.com forward slash AI. Growing up in Nigeria, poet and singer Dilemma says she became aware very early on that she would be unhappy trying to live up to the patriarchal expectations put upon her. She's since been on a journey in pursuit of her freedom. From changing her name to coming out to her mother, Dilemma says that finding herself, understanding who she is and what she wants, has been the key to finding peace and living fully in her truth. Dilemma is a generous, warm, and fearless conversation partner. We explore why changing her name allowed her to imprint herself on Igbo culture, how she helps others flip their pain into poetry through the pancake business, and her ever-evolving and expanding ideas of what it means to be a feminist. She also speaks openly about her mother's reaction to her coming out, the practical steps she's taking to be true to herself, and why she resists releasing music on demand. She argues that streaming services have transformed our consumption of art to the detriment of those who put their blood, sweat, and tears into their music, and she wants no part of it. And before we begin, I'd like to say to the young black woman who sent me the most beautiful and heartfelt message earlier this week that this conversation is dedicated to you. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm busy being black with Dilemma. Dilemma, thank you so much for being here. Mm. It's um, I I stumbled across um, your work on Twitter actually. Wow. Yeah, I think someone like Kaleji or, or someone else had liked um, one of your performances, mm. and I just went into this complete spiral. <laughs> I was like completely enraptured by your voice. Wow, mm. thank you. Yeah, you have such a striking presence. Thank you. Um, so, uh, so in this in this deep dive into into your work, your spoken word, the you know, uh, the pancake business, the mm-hmm. Dilemma Collective, mm-hmm. I was really surprised to find out that Dilemma is an acronym. Yes. Can you speak on that? Yes, my name is an acronym. Uh, it stands for Do You Let Every Man Adapt, and um, 
The name came about very when I was very young, about 14, 15. And um, I found myself a bit of a crossroad um, when it came to uh, a p my personality, um, uh, you know, dual, being of dual nationality as well. So being born, brought up in Nigeria, born and raised in Nigeria, and then coming over here, I had like really strong accent. I had a really rough time fitting in with people in this country um, because one, the um, Africans who were Ghanaian but British were the ones picking up on my difference. Mm. Then, as well as the white people as well. So it was like, I was having a really difficult time fitting in um, because I wanted to so much. And so um, after a while, trying that, all the time, you know, trying different ways to fit in. It just never worked. And then, you know, I got to a really, you know, dark place, a really, really um, down place. And I found myself, you know, between a rock and a hard place, like literally. And in that moment, instead of dying, I decided, you know, I'm going to rename myself and um, try and live um, on my terms. And, you know, uh, that was a really hard decision to make at such a, such a young age. But that's because of what I was faced with, like the level. Because in my family as well, I'm from a traditional Igbo background. And what that means is the women stay in the kitchen. The, like, the men don't pick up a piece of paper or plate. They literally leave it up to you as a woman to, you know, do all the domestic chores. So for me, I felt really alone in my home and alone in the public spaces like schools and, and stuff like that. So in that moment, I decided I'm gonna do me and let every man adapt. And when I started to do me, every man was adapting. So that's been me ever since. I mean, that name change kind of falls in in line with the black radical tradition, right? There, yes. There's a history of, of black people who either in order to reclaim their space or their, or their culture have renamed themselves and so what is the freedom that comes with if you're if you were able to clarify or codify that freedom somehow mm. what was it about the name change that that allowed that freedom for you um it meant that i owned myself because everything else in my life showed me that i was owned by somebody else for example the tradition i love Igbo culture but a lot of Igbo culture is very patriarchal and very oppressive to women and I'm not afraid to say so because I've, I'm from the culture. So I know that, you know, denouncing many things to do with the um, patriarchy and oppression of women is what I stand for. So in that culture, I did not own myself. I felt owned by the, the, the tradition. I felt owned by the oppression of women. And then in this country, um, with being British, I felt owned by being, I couldn't just be me. I had mm. to be African. Mm, mm. If I wasn't African, I had to be black, you know. Um, whereas in Nigeria, I didn't know I was black. You know, everyone was black. So no right. one's going around going, you're black. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No one cares, you know, because your aunties, your uncle, the person across the street that you don't know, they're just trying to live. And then you're coming over here with that mentality, which was really great for me, you know, um, being able to work really hard and things like that was really great for me. But then you come over here and then they label you black, label you African, label you angry, label you all these things. But then if I called myself what I wanted to be called, then I own myself and I, 
I'm able to curate that space. And that, that is what I love doing. I love curating and creating. And so does this allow you then to exist more freely within the culture that you love? Because I imagine the name change is a separation for yourself from elements of the culture that you find oppressive, as, as you've said. Mm. And so does that freedom then allow you to enjoy parts of the culture that you think are fortifying or energizing or vitalizing? You know, so, so I, and I ask this question because I think so many of us in this queer blackness are trying to understand ourselves within blackness, within mm. the cultures that we originate from, where there typically hasn't been space for us to, to live and to thrive, as, as you've suggested, mm -hmm. you couldn't. And so I'm curious if this freedom also has allowed you to enjoy your culture in new ways or, or else to see it in new ways. I think that this freedom has allowed me to um, uh, imprint myself in the culture. I feel like I've always loved my culture, if that makes sense. Mm. I've always loved it. It's, it's never been a... Um, it's never been a situation where I'm like, I hate Igbo culture. I've never been that person. I love so many things about it. It's a very fruitful and um, like strong historical place to be from. Um, but what I found is there was nobody like me you know, and it's not because there aren't people who have things that, that are like me or mm -hmm. who like what I like. It's because they have not been given the opportunity um, or they have not um, they have not been allowed the space to realize themselves in this culture. And what I'm saying is that I I've always loved my culture, but I found that having to own myself and make decisions based on what I like and what I dislike, I can never not be Igbo. I already am, you know? So right, 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 right. I'm just trying to imprint and impose myself in this culture because it's like a slab of wood right now and people are chipping at it. And then I'm like, where's my chip? You know, until I chip this slab of wood, you know, it's gonna turn into a sculpture that I had nothing to do with. Oh, I see. I see, that's a beautiful yeah. Yeah. Um, illustration. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, we had a pre-conversation, and you mentioned feminism. Mm. And so I think linked to this conversation about renaming ourselves and defining ourselves or imprinting ourselves um, in the cultures that we love, talk to me about how your idea of feminism has changed um, since this freedom. My idea of feminism has, you know, completely done a u-turn uh, within the last year i would say and my reason is you know i i i am a fem i grew up a feminist simply because i grew up with a house full of men i have no sisters you know um just uh um four brothers who grew up with me five uh, at the beginning and it's like um plus my dad so six men in the house and then no females my mom is like patriarchy Ride, rider, <laughs> patriarchy, <laughs> patriarchy queen. <laughs> so, so for me, um, I found it really difficult growing up in that. And because I could see the double standards, it was like, I always say it was deafening and blinding. It was really, really tough. And so I grew up wanting to exist and wanting to exist as a woman in that capacity makes you automatically a feminist because you're, automatically fighting against something from conception. And so for a long time, this word feminist was float, floating around. 
and it, it was always said negatively. Mm. And, you know, um, of course I read a lot, but I had not yet picked up a book about feminism because of how negative a connotation was attached to the word. And so even when I was saying, yeah, I'm not a feminist, but I am because blah, 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 blah. Like what all, um, what most um, women do is that they say, I'm not a feminist, but I'm da, 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 and they explain everything that makes them a feminist. Right. And the reason that women, I do that is because I feel like, you know, that negative, because I'm still feeding the patriarchy a little bit because I still believe what men say. I still believe that that word is negative. So even as far as you can, be against patriarchy or against the oppression of women, you can still serve it, you know, which is what I was doing for a very long time. On one hand, I was saying female empowerment, save women, all of this stuff. And on the other hand, I was like, but I'm not a feminist. And when you take away men's um, idea, ideology of yourself as a woman, you won't be afraid of that word. You won't disregard that word. You won't discredit it as a woman because you will have no reason to. But because we're taking in the fact that it sounds negative and there's negative connotations, feminists hate men and all of that stuff, that comes into your head and you don't want to be called a feminist. And I didn't want to be called a feminist for a very long time. What changed is I started to read more. Audrey Lord. I started to, I started to really just keep myself around black women, black queer women, mm. and that saved my mind because being around such liberating, liberated women in their thinking, like liberated in their thinking, being around them made me question my boundaries and my barriers. Made me question like the little box I was in. You know, um, I thought. You know, I, I thought for a long time that I was even a misandrist, you know, because I was like, you know, men, you know, oh, and, uh, men are lower than women. And, oh, you know, you get, you get to that point of really being upset about mm. uh, oppression, especially when I've gone through it to that level that you wonder, oh, you know, let me go back to Genesis and, you know, <laughs> and be like, oh, you know, at the end of the day, um, Eve ate the apple, but Adam didn't have to eat it, all of that stuff. All of that stuff. You just get really, like, into it, yeah. right? And just, like, I, I was even thinking, you know, so many things, but it's because of the hurt. I was operating from a lot of hurt. And, you know, sometimes um, men may meet that version of feminism. Men may meet that version of woman, which is not a bad thing. Like, the women are allowed to be wh whoever they are. Um, but, however, now who I am is somebody with a lot more empathy and a lot more understanding in the fact that, you know, we are both conditioned a certain way. And... Um, in that, I've come to understand feminism a lot more. And I've come to understand that, you know, we must, we must collectively push for something that looks equal, you know? Yeah, because I think we can love something and understand it's lacking. Yes. Right? That it's missing something, that there are gaps, that it is flawed. Mm -hmm. And I think these, these ideologies or philosophies or what, what have you are also reflective of humanity, Right, the person sitting in front of us is not perfect. It needs to be worked on, but we also need to embrace the people around us for who they are and, and their potential. Right? Yeah, mm. yeah, I agree. I, I yeah, I, I think there's so much of that within at this intersection of blackness and queerness. Right, yeah. the, and I'm trying to be 
a feminist, mm. right? And I think what you're saying is, like, part of this reclamation of feminist is you understanding yourself as a feminist outside of the male gaze. Yes. Right? Which is what feminism is, you know? But but you never, you never realize that's what feminism is because what patriarchy does is it discredits the word. Before you get to find... Um, people like yourself before you get to read up on authors that are feminists before you even pick up a book that says feminism as a woman so much of patriarchy stops you from doing that and you don't realize you know you don't realize you think that you're right in standing but being like you know what i hate the way the the situation is i hate the oppression of women well i'm not going to read up on how I can help and change it because, you know, I'm not a feminist, clearly. Right, right. <laughs> you know? That's, and, it's, and it's crazy. You know, it's really interesting because I can only speak from this point of view now because I've gone up and read up and, you know, f- furthered my thinking with regards to feminism. But speak to me two years ago, I would be telling you something completely different yeah. because I've written my own book within myself about what it is to be a woman as a, uh, um, in 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 op- opposing situations with men. So anyone coming to tell me about feminism, I'm like, listen, I lived it, blah, blah, blah. I'm not a feminist. I lived it, do you know what I mean? Mm. But it's like, no, you're not the only one who's lived it. There's so many people who've lived it. And there's actually people with real life um, instructions and um, ways to help you mentally, you know, um, ways to really educate you. And it's out there if you can just accept the word feminist. Could you be my night? My night for tonight. My night for tonight. For tonight. Could you be my night? My night for tonight My night For tonight For tonight I look into your eyes and find a bedroom in your mind With walls decorated in memories Painted into vivid motions of childhood lust And entangled curiosity I see mantles of your first love And the way her words left murals on your tabletop I'm a witness to the pain you've held onto for all these years In the mist, I sit with your deepest, darkest fears, but I stay. I'm still standing in this room, unafraid. Everything is exactly as it was. All that's missing is the bed, my bed. My limbs slowly becoming furniture. This room all too familiar, fixated. I know exactly where I should be situated. Right here. Right now. Could you be my naive? My night for tonight. My night for tonight. For tonight. Baby, could you be my night? My night for tonight. My night for tonight. For tonight. And so, what steps have you taken to live in your truth? Because I think it's something that we as a community are always um, reflecting on or trying to find, mm. you know, what are the actual, and I tried to pull it out of people in, 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 the, in these conversations, mm. what are the steps that we can take to live in our truth? Like, what's worked for you? 
For me, I found um, getting to know myself, um, that's been of, like, that's been the most helpful thing that I've ever done, you know. Um, getting to know myself has been so important to me because for a long time, like I said, I didn't have myself. I didn't own myself. Again, growing up around um, uh, men, growing up around a lot of my brothers um, and my father, um, I found that, again, with regards to uh, patriarchy, it stopped them from getting to know me because that is the thing that women are trying to get across to men and, and, and to everyone else, that we listen, you know, because we are asking for empathy. We're not asking for anything else. And with regards to... My brothers, for example, I lived my life without them knowing who I am at all, you know, but that's not their fault. It's because everything in the world gives them the right not to ask any questions about women. Mm. You know, they don't have to know, you know, um, whereas I'm your sister. I'm, I'm with you every day, every other day, yet you have not asked questions about who I am. So that made me really not think about who I was and really just focused on being who they wanted me to be. Right, right. And so really getting to know myself meant I found out what I liked. I found out what I didn't like. I found out what, you know, brings me joy and happiness. And that is what gave me my truth. So as I'm standing here today, I have so much that I've learned about myself. And that's the only place I can pull from to give to other people because if I don't know myself, then what can I tell you? What can I give you? What can mm. how how can I be of true service where I don't resent you at the end of it, you know? But because I know myself, I know my full capacity. I know what I can give and what I can't give. You know, and I've come to a place where I feel like my my cup is running over. So it's like all the spillages I'm giving to people because mm. I'm just like really happy about being in the place I'm in and facing myself, you know? And in that comes me talking to um, my mother about my sexuality, um, which is, she's an African, Nigerian hmm. African mother. Yes, no surprises how that went. <laughs> oh my God, there was nothing that prepared me. Nothing in this world prepared me for what happened that day. Nothing in this world prepared me. Do you want to talk about it? Sure, I can talk about it. I mean, this would be the first time ever. <laughs> that you're talking about well, it. Well, like, ab apart from like my really close friends, wow. but this is not something that I've... You are, know, are you happy to? Are you? Do, do you know what? To? I'm actually very happy to. Okay. You know, um, because it's like I've chosen to be fearless in the life that I'm living, and it's helped me a lot with my career. It's helped me a lot with my mental state, and I'm just taking the. I'm choosing to be um, fearless. I'm choosing to choose myself in situations because if I choose myself. I'm going to tell you anything you want to know. Um, but if I choose other people, it, it gets it gets really weird. Oh, interesting. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so for me, when I told my mom about my sexuality, you know, like I said, there's nothing that prepared me for this. There was no book I could read. There was no, there was nothing that could prepare me for actually telling my mom that, you know, I was sexually free. You know, um, and she didn't take it very well. She did not take it very well at all. She was on the floor, rolling, crying. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I mean, in my head, I was like, what I told her is like saying I like the color red. But to her, 
it means so much, you know, um, because of the, this real stigma that's around it. So when you said in your head it was like telling her you like the color red, you mean as in it's no big deal? Yes. Right, right. Yeah, it was like, it was for me, it was it's like it's no big deal. Like I was really happy to um, discover this part of myself. I was really like, you know, because I've always wondered, why are you so weird, bruh? Like, because, you know what I mean? Like, I've always wondered, like, what's wrong with you? Like, what's up? And it's like, it's not because something was up with me. It's because I just didn't have a connection with anyone around me with regards to that. You know, like as in, there was no openness with regards to um, um, queerness when I was growing up. I didn't even know there were queer Nigerians. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I just didn't know. So it wasn't that I was weird, it's just that I did not have a, um, a clear perception of myself because everybody looked at me with a skewed perception. You know, like, everyone you grow up around is like mirrors. Mm -hmm. And then unless someone kind of like mirrors you perfectly you're never gonna know that that's what you're like right, right. do you know what i mean yeah. until you go and meet someone that you really love and then you see yourself for real <laughs> you know because that's a mirror mm. like when you get into a relationship with someone that loves you and you love them that's a mirror and sometimes you run out of that relationship because you're like i was not prepared to see <laughs> yeah, myself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> He was like, I was not prepared to see myself this way. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, intimacy sucks, yeah. <laughs> right, do you know what I mean? And then un until you get to love yourself, then it doesn't suck anymore because mm. you're like, rah, I love myself so much and you um, you mirror me, you know? Love and relationships are about narcissism anyway. So like, Fair, yeah. you get into a relationship <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh, you mirror me. And then, you know, because you love yourself and you love this person, it just becomes like this love fest. But <laughs> but before that, you, you never know, like with, with, with people around you. So when I was going back to, you know, telling my mother, um, it was really difficult, you know, um, to to break down the walls that she's built up for all these years. And for me, I felt like the most, that was the most liberating day of my life. You know, that was the most liberating day of my life because just being free, like my whole call to creativity, to anything I do, is my journey to freedom. You know, I really just want to see how much I can push, how free I can get. And it's from the place of a black woman, there is so much barriers for you just to be free. And it's like, that's a lifetime job, you know? And you can call it art, you can call it creativity, you can call it whatever you want, but it's a lifetime job for me to be free, you know? For me to just paint something and show it Loads of black women are sitting on painting skills, you know, mm. and they can't even get to the paintbrush to canvas mm. because they have so many boundaries. So many black women are sitting with their voices in their mouth without speaking, you know. So if I push, I'm pushing my voice and I'm pushing to speak, you know, and that's another version of pushing for freedom. So I really feel like, again, it all comes back to you talking about my truth mm. and that is my truth when it comes to um, myself um, finding love within myself and also finding freedom and finding r different ways to push those boundaries um, yeah and so what's that relationship now like with your mom 
Um, it's growing. <laughs> it's well, it's progressing so very, very slowly. Mm. Um, I feel like we're giving each other time. It would take a lot of a long, long time. And the thing is that is weird about it is that she knew. Is that what she said? She was the one who said it. Ah, okay. <laughs> you okay. know, like I was, I I brought up the conversations. Like, oh, do you know? I want to tell you something about my life. And then she was like, "Okay, lesbian." <laughs> okay, lesbian. <laughs> and I was just like, I was just like, yeah. And she was like, what? I was like, yeah. She was like, what? And I was like, I was like, yeah. And then she was just, you know, then she went into this, this, you know, um, sort of like prayer slash crying. Um, and it's like, for me, th that was the hardest part. And now it's just about her understanding or seeing the fruits of my um, existence. Mm. Because I know that a lot of Africans like to, um, a lot of African children, their whole aim is to prove their worth to their parents. And for me, a long, for a long time, that was me. And I'm currently at that stage where I'm shifting that mindset to just being happy. Mm. Because if I'm happy, then I can make other people happy. You know, but right now, my focus is myself being happy. For a long time, it was about proving my worth um, to my mom. So even when I just said, you know, maybe my fruits that she will, you know, be able to understand me. It's still again that mindset that you know I have to do something right, right, in order for her to accept. And at this point, I'm just focusing on being happy. Because I feel like that's the only solution that I can that either of us can give to each other. There's this separation that happens, or has happened certainly for me, when I felt misunderstood or I didn't feel like proving myself. That meant that I had to divorce myself from people close to me because I didn't want to have to continue to explain myself or, or demonstrate my worth. And I think that's that it's a behavior that's replicated in our lives writ large, right? That if something isn't working, if someone doesn't understand, then we stop. We separate. That's it. Mm. And what I'm hearing from you is that you're not only are you kind of accepting who you are and understanding this acceptance in the context of your own personal freedom, but you're also giving the space to your mother to make peace with whatever she needs to make peace with to come back to you, mm -hmm. but letting her do that for herself mm -hmm. while you're focusing on yourself. And I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, like I'm always open for whenever my mother is ready. We will be able to um, come together on something um, on both our terms, you know? Um, no longer on just her terms, because, you know, it hasn't always been right that way. Mm. And so you've got this fullness. <laughs> and it's, and so you share this fullness through your work, obviously, yeah. which I've been so deeply moved by. <laughs> um, but you also have the pancake business. Yes. Talk to me about the pancake business. So the pancake business is a workshop that I run. Um, it's, uh, it's the pancake is metaphorical. It's about um, flipping your pain into poetry. Oof. Like you flip <laughs> a pancake. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So um, uh, it all came about uh, because of the way I came into poetry. So the way I came into poetry is like I was telling you about my name. You know, when I named myself, I became a poet. Um, and what happened was, you know, I was going through a lot of pain in that time. Um, and you know really struggling 
and what happened was um uh even how I came into poetry uh, my mother burnt my 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 notebooks my my poetry books um she she set them on fire because I was always writing in them um and I was meant to be cooking and doing my work it gets really deep it gets really deep so yeah, like so she burnt them and um I was really not a talker I really didn't you know speak in public as much um and but when those books got burnt it made me feel like no one got to hear anything that was in those pages like I don't even remember what was written in them and so the next poem it took me a long time to you know physically write on anything so I memorized my poems because it just kept coming right so the next time I memorized a poem in my head I went to the stage and I performed it and there started my my um, spoken word uh, career um because after that everyone was like your voice your voice and before that I didn't really no one really heard me I didn't know my voice had anything attached to it um so that was the thing that made me continue performing and so as I kept going throughout my career I would kept turning different um pains into um pieces of work that went out and did good things and so um that gave me the teachings that i needed to uh later on like what's it like 10 years later <laughs> i created this um, pancake business and and it's to teach people how to turn their pain into poetry so what happens is like you know um i turn the classroom into like um or sort of um it feels it almost feels like we're 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 part of like a tribe right. you know and where people are sharing and what happens is that when they share i teach them how to turn what they share into poetry um and what they do is that they turn what they share no matter how deep and dark it is into poetry um that they um that i teach them um creative writing i teach them a way to do it and then um, at the end you know they're sharing it and they've now turned that pain into something that they can read and get applause from and um that was it's been so very moving you know um i'm grateful to be able to um facilitate that it's a healing project yes that's so cool. <laughs> I just had this conversation with Ben Ellis, who talks about placing distance between himself and his poetry, that something happens and it's painful and, he, and it comes out, right? He, he, he's compelled to get it out, but that he's learned to, that he needs space to actually heal before he then goes and performs that poetry because it's not a replacement for therapy, but that it is ultimately, ultimately a healing a healing project. I, I say that to say that these, I'm so obsessed with poetry and mm -hmm. so moved by, I think we all are, right? Mm -hmm. we, you know, it, it, we know that it activates the same parts of our brains mm -hmm. as music. Yeah. And, and there's something, in, and, and I think it's something that I do as a writer is to take this pain and there's something about it knocking around in the head and that moment when it's translated onto the page and you move things around and you trade out that word for that word. I remember I wrote something um, and I said, this pain can't be mine alone. It's a brontide from an earlier disaster, mm -hmm. right? It's the echoes of an earlier disaster yes. in someone else's life. And it, it, I was just like, whoa. Yes, <laughs> for real. Right. You're just like, did that come out of me? Yeah, yeah. My mom was like, brontide. <laughs> <laughs> Not a Bronte, <laughs> and so right. and, and so it's it's 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not a question. Mm. It's a place. Yes. <laughs> Where we are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, poetry is poetry. Is and very that you're beautiful. passing that on, I think, is what I'm getting at, right? That, mm. yeah, that you're passing it on. I think people, loads of people don't know what to do with their pain. Some people, it consumes them, and it nearly consumed me. And what I'm saying is that I do not think that the pancake business should be uh, in the place of real therapy and mm. real you know, fellowship. However, it is a tool mm. to use until you can get the help that you need, um, which is what happened to me. For a long time, poetry kept me alive until I found a community of people who could help me, you know? Um, and, and, and the thing is that there's an illusion with poetry as well because, because it feels so good to turn your pain into something else. Um, you could live your life not knowing that you're unwell. Wow. Because it's such a it's such a high. That's what it does to you when mm. you constantly flipping your pain into poetry. You think you're because you're living, it's sustaining you. You think that you're getting rid, but you're not. You know, you, it's just keeping you alive. And I would say it's just keeping you alive until you get to your community, which is what happened to me. Basically, I'm just taking that all in. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most fulfilling part of the of the pancake business for you? Um, I think giving people the space to do something that they don't usually uh, get a chance to. Um, I feel, especially in London, everybody is so busy trying to become something. Mm. Um, they have very little chance to talk about who they are. And so for me... I feel like the most fulfilling part is just being able to facilitate people as they are um, with 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 parts of them that people ignore. Um, I feel like poetry is very intimate and it brings out the darkest, the brightest, you know. It brings out so many colors of your life um, onto a page. And for me, what fulfills me is the fact that they get to go there and they get a tool at the end of the day to um to to help them um to sustain them and that's just that's just basically it like it it's it's moving to me and it, it it inspires me so what if a black girl knew is the name of a poem but it's also the name of your new podcast mm. why a podcast why why explore this idea of what you want black girls to know through, the, through this format? Well, because I'm a jazz singer um, and I have no music out. And, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> literally, that is the reason, Josh. That is the reason. <laughs> Just, listen. I thought you were going to be like, because this uh, is a private experience. No. Like, I got I to no, push content out. No, listen. <laughs> when I tell you, like, it's one of those things, right? I, I, I've been performing in, a, in my band for um, two and a half years this now. This is the Dilemma Collective. The Dilemma Collective. And loads of people are asking me for music. And I don't want to give them any music, Josh. I don't want to release any music. Oh, on, t- uh, this is the Beyonce approach. Let's yeah. go into that. Because she's leaving us hanging. Yeah. Why are you leaving us thirsty? Yeah. Dilemma. No, because like I feel like, honestly, 
just within the last five, six years, there's no album that has come out that I'm constantly, constantly repeating and playing. Like how I used to play songs from the 90s. I used to repeat those albums. I repeat them today. Mm. Erica Badu's album is still playing in my yard. So what I realize is that what's happened with these streaming services is that every talent is open for consumption. Everybody's... Um, consciousness is just being consumed you know when it comes to talent even the most talented of us have been you know persuaded into thinking that I must put my work into these streaming funnels into this vacuum and you give them 18 songs of blood sweat and tears and then next week they want 18 more so what happens to really talented artists is that because they want to feed the consumer and feed the consumption they start bringing out rubbish that is not good for anybody. But what it is, is that it's good for streaming and it's good for the numbers to go up. And what I'm saying is that I am somebody who cares about quality. I'm somebody who cares about people. And so what I really want to say is what I'm saying through my podcast. And podcast, you listen to it. Mm. You actually listen to it and you actually take it in. It's people speaking you know, maybe one day we'll get to a place where a podcast becomes ultimate passive listening, the way people, right, do you know what right, I mean? Yeah. But until then, people are listening to what we're saying um, and to what you're saying in Busy Being Black. Like, people are listening. And so if you're going to put something conscious and worthy of people's attention, it should be through a viable source like this, you know? Um, and so that's what I wanted to do. Um Instead of releasing music that's just up for consumption, whereas with my music, when you come to see me live, there is a real and true exchange that happens there. Mm. And that way, we are translating, we are exchanging energy, we are definitely connected. So when people come to my shows, we have that connection. And if I ever was to release music, I'm going to give it to you. In your hand. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like not, not 10 years of my life I'm going to put on these streaming services so you can just ask me for 10 more years tomorrow. No, no, no. This is real to me. It means something to me and I want it to mean something to you. So literally, that's me. I want to I wanna be able to give someone my, my music and for them to be like, thank you. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, you know, go away with it. Not, you know, this this entire streaming service that you just put things in and then, you know, it just becomes numbers, 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 numbers and nobody actually cares, mm. you know? But yeah, that's why I created the podcast because it's really what I want to say, you know, in the conversation. It's really what I want people to to listen to. I, uh, what an awesome answer. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's... I never, I, I never actually thought about that. But yes, yeah. yes, that's yeah. the truth. Oh, it's beautiful. On that note, um, what if a black girl knew? What do you wish you knew earlier? Um, the thing about that poem is that I wrote that poem for me. That was me. That was the poem was me talking to myself. Um, my dad passed in two thousand and fifteen. And that was the first poem I wrote after he passed. And my dad was the only person who had my back. Really? Yes. So when he passed, it really dawned on me that I was alone. So in that moment, I needed to 
show up for myself. And so I wrote this poem because I needed to show up for myself. And I just thought about the barriers that I have as a black woman. And I just wanted to tell myself, what if you knew? What if you weren't these things? And I just thought, wait, why am I these things? You know, just so many things just came to the forefront because I just wanted to be like, why don't you um, have your back? And I just realized there was so many things telling me that I couldn't and shouldn't have my back. And I just tried to um, pinpoint those things. And then I shared them and I wasn't alone. That was it. I shared what I thought was holding me back. And I, f and I found out that it was holding a lot of people back. White and black. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like, it was holding yellow, green, and purple people back. <laughs> I was like, wow. Like, so I'm not the only one. So that is... So when you say, what do I wish I knew? Honestly, I just wish I knew more about me. Because knowing more about me has meant that I know more about other people. So to close, I ask all of my guests the same question, as you know. Mm. What do you hope for? I hope for the freedom of black women to be human. That's what I hope for. Yeah, we're all fighting to be human. And I think once we understand that we're fighting to be human, there will be a lot more empathy there, you know? The further you go back, um, you realize that struggle, from the place of struggle, you see a lot more. People see a lot more things from the place of struggle. If you think about someone in uh, Nigeria, in the slums, through that struggle, they see a lot of life. You see a four-year-old in Nigeria, their mind and their intellect is very sharp. You know, over here we're a lot more comfortable, so the four-year-olds are allowed to be chill, you know? Mm. And they're allowed to, you know, um, not form their words completely because someone will look after them. Whereas a four-year-old in Nigeria, they're very sharp. They can have a real intellectual conversation with you because struggle sharpens the mind. And so what I'm trying to say is that black women have a different level of sight than most people because there are so many things that black women, black queer women, trans women, there's so many things from that point of view that you see versus what other people see just because it's a place of um, a, a marginalized position and from a marginalized position you see the world through several colors because you have to because you have to whereas from a place of privilege you see the world in one color because the other colors don't really bother you so what I'm trying to say is I pray and I wish and I hope for black women to be seen as human simply because from where we are standing now we are not given that opportunity the way people think we are. And we just need to be given that opportunity. We just need to be able to be human, be allowed to laugh, be allowed to be angry, be allowed to have crazy you know, ideas, be allowed to paint, draw, sing, dance, whatever. 
um, I hope for black women to be able to do them and let every man adapt. Dana, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Josh. It means the world. This has been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> Singer and poet Dilemma is the founder of the Dilemma Collective, poetry workshop The Pancake Business, and creator and host of the podcast What If a Black Girl Knew. You'll find links to her work in the show notes. Now we don't speak, but I thought, fuck it if I die tomorrow. Which is a 50% possibility I might wish I send you this Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. Remember this, your support doesn't cost any money. Retweets, shares, ratings, and reviews all help, so please keep the support coming. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York City for these bomb-ass Busy Being Black beats. Ashe. Festivities begin with a real five to seven foot Nordman Christmas tree for only 15 pounds. Home base feels good to be home while stocks last.